Good morning, everybody. You can get your worship guides out and or follow us on YouVersion. We're in a series entitled You Asked For It. Uh, before I get into that, I just want to uh, make a quick plug about a special event. For those of you who don't know, uh, hopefully you do by now. We tried to communicate it as best we know how. But we have an um, event on October 21st. It's called... Uh, uh, it's a Relate One Day. We, it's one of our strategic partners as a church, one of our mission partners, where we help uh, shore up pastors and leaders actually all over the world now. Um, you may not realize it, but those of you who are consider this your home, your spiritual family, and you're a tither in this church, a uh, por- portion of your funds uh, and contributions goes to uh, building up other churches and other um, parts of the world. In particular, um, we, we do a lot of different things, which I'll give you a full update on in November. We do our kind of mission Sunday uh, sometime at the end of November. But one of our partners is Relate, and we just feel like the most strategic way that we can help the, the body of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, is to help leaders. Because the devil knows that if he can hurt a leader, he can crush a church. You, you guys know what I'm talking about? The Bible says, smite the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. But if we could shore up a pastor, build up, resource, strengthen, encourage a pastor, then you help entire populations of people. And I want you to know that those of you that are a part of this family, you're, you're actually helping support literally thousands and thousands of people because we're supporting pastors. And so I have the pleasure, and some of my team now, we've expanded. Uh, our reach, and we're resourcing even beyond myself outside of this church in coaching pastors all over the country. In fact, we're doing uh, financial coaching. We've been, we're going to be, uh, we're doing um, a, a lot of other specific areas. But on October 21st, there'll be pastors and leaders coming from all over New England, actually all up and down the East Coast, that will be here in our home, uh, Connect Community Church, on a Tuesday. It's an all-day event where we'll be just building up leaders. And so we're looking for Dream Team or anybody that would like to participate who uh, maybe you're a frequent flyer, you just love your church, you haven't had the chance to kind of, you know, uh, go through the growth track yet. This would be an open invitation for you to participate and kind of get an inside look at what's happening at Connect. You can serve on that particular day as well. Um, we'll, we'll take any level of commitment. We're looking for full day commitment. We know that's a big one, um, but we believe there'll be a, a big time reward for those of you who do it. Two years ago, we did it. We had 70 Dream Team people here serve. Um, I think it was only like 75 leaders. So we had a pretty good ratio. <laughs> Can I get you anything? Can I get you anything? Can I get you anything? Um, so we were like all over them. They thought we were the best. Um, so anyway, that's coming up October 21st. If you're interested, there's an insert right inside your worship guide. You can put that in the connection box at the rear of the auditorium, or you can go to Guest Central and hand that to them, or ask more information at Guest Central, and they'll give it to you if you, uh, you could not do a, a full day for some reason. Amen. So today, um, I just want to welcome you guys again to the series that you asked for. Uh, we believe this type of series is, uh, is actually not unique. In fact, if you look in the scriptures, a lot of the things that Jesus addressed, a lot of the messages that he brought <clears throat> were a direct response to the questions that his disciples asked of him or other people asked of him. And so he would begin to talk about certain subjects. The, one of the most recent series that we did um, was on prayer, that was a response to a question from the disciples. And so this is very similar to that. You guys asked certain questions, and we've designed a series around the questions that you asked for. And this was one of the top, today's message was one of the top questions that you asked uh, by percentage, and we'll get into that in just a second. But, you know, uh, last week we kind of kicked it off, and um, um, it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun last week. Uh, how many of you guys were here last week for 
last week's service. Okay, good. Um, you came back. Praise God. I wasn't sure what was going to happen after last week. Um, but we talked about a lot of different things that are really pertinent to, uh, to, to aspects of the Christian experience, non-essentials versus essentials, for example. And we talked about some non-essential subjects. Uh, but when we, when we are talking about those, it's not that they're not important, and we need to know how to address them and how to handle them in the Christian experience. And we talked about what does the Bible have to say about, you know, drinking and, and smoking and, and movies, and, and I didn't do it, but I was going to talk about, you know, swearing, you know, just for the, you know, heck of it. But I didn't do that, so I should have done that. But maybe we'll, maybe we'll do a message on that at some point. Um, in a couple of weeks, maybe even next week, I think it's going to be next week. Just pray for me that I can get it all done. And we've got some creative pieces that uh, are conditional to that. But uh, I think next week we're going to talk about one of the, number, the number one question you guys asked for, and that is, are we living in the last days? And so um, you guys want to be here the next couple of weeks? Uh, for that and for and then I think the other one we may we may talk where there was two that were kind of competing with each other um, but uh, one is stress apparently you guys are really stressed out uh, so we'll have to talk about maybe talk about that and then the other one was sex all right some guy at the back just woke up he was like bobbing off but he woke right up so welcome back bro uh, so we may talk about that but today, uh, we are going to talk about the subject of overcoming doubt. That was one of the top questions that you asked for, how to overcome doubt, how can we route out doubt. Now, many people are here today. You guys ready to go? Yes, okay. Many people are here today who believe in God and are, and are sometimes wondering, you know, if he's listening, if he's, if he's really responsive, and, and you know, is, is he still at work today? And it seems sometimes this whole subject of faith, it seems elusive to many people, difficult. What does it mean? How does it apply? You know, how, do I have it? How do I get it? And so today we're going to do a verse. It's, there's different ways that you can teach the Bible, topical, expository. Uh, we're, this is, this is going to be kind of more a verse-by-verse study today. Some people like to teach that way. I do that a lot of times in our SNL. A verse-by-verse study of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. I don't know if this is in your notes, but a very important text in the scriptures, you can write it in your notes, is Hebrews 11.6 for all you note takers. It says, Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That means faith is pretty important, doesn't it? I mean, if you don't have faith, you can't please God. That must be a pretty important subject. Am I, and, and it's really important to your walk with God. And so my goal today is to give you at least, at least one, <clears throat> many of you have been Christians a long time, but I want to give you at least one nugget that might change things in your relationship with God. Now, we'll, I'll give you a seven but, you, but you, you may be living three or four of them, and, and, but two or three or four more could, could maybe change your life, push you kind of over the top in some of the situations and circumstances you're facing. But, but you might not be a Christian, or you might not be one who's been in the faith a long, long time. And, and I really think that we're living in a generation today that is in direct opposition uh, to this topic. I think we're living in, a, in an unbelieving generation. When I say unbelieving, they may profess to believe something, but they're, we're not seeing faith applied. Is everybody, everybody out there still up? And I think we're seeing this more and more every day. I, we live in an, in, in an age of skepticism, an age, uh, in particular in America, 
an age of where people are jaded, doubting, very doubting. And this is especially true in the younger generation. There's a lot of statistics that I could rattle off, but I didn't want to bore you with them. But we see people always, always wanting, you see this a lot in social media, people always wanting to give the contrarian view, like the, the it's, it's not even a point of contrast, it's a point of, of competition, it's a point of debate. And it quick to do that, very, very contrarian. And we live in a generation that fosters doubt and cultivates a questioning attitude. And that attitude, that mindset can squash faith, it can squash it. I, I used to... Um, <clears throat> I used to dream when I was a young boy, actually 15 years old, I had dreams of doing what I'm doing right now. I literally would go to sleep at night and I'd have dreams of preaching to crowds and crowds, crowds of people and sharing the gospel. I actually, it's kind of weird, but even younger than that, my parents are not here in this service to attest to that, but I used to be, I was a very small, uh, physically small boy, just really kind of just small frame, small boy. And I used to have uh, dreams of doing feats of strength and using the feats of strength to witness to people and share Christ with them. And I'd see myself lifting up big things over my head, and then, and then I'd drop them, and everybody'd say, how'd you do that? And then I'd say, Jesus gave me the strength to do that. You need Jesus. It was a very simple gospel message for like a four or five-year-old. And I'd tell, my, I'd tell my parents that. I just had this dream. And, and in many respects, since I was a boy to now... Uh, that's, that's kind of what's happened. God has always used certain skills or giftings. Uh, and I, for some of you who don't know, you know, I did some powerlifting and things like that. And I haven't done anything crazy great, but I've been competitive. But God's always used, you know, a, um, you know, a dream uh, that becomes a reality is what faith is all about, is what I'm trying to tell you. A dream that becomes a reality is all that God is up to. And I would see these things literally vivid and, 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 and you know, descript. And, and, and I remember when these things started to happen for me. And so faith is when God gives you a dream and it becomes a reality. Look at this story in your notes in Mark chapter 9. I want to kind of encourage you with a story that, that some of you read before, but maybe a point of it you haven't necessarily focused on. But it says this in Mark chapter 9, verse 17. And for those of you... Um, you know, who are listening online, those of you who are listening through video, I want to encourage you with this. It says, teacher, it says, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit. Come on, parents. Some of you got one of those kind of kids. You know what I'm talking about? That's a different series. We'll, we'll do that question another time. But uh, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Again, parents, you're all familiar with this. Now, check this out. It says, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit. In other words, I brought them to the prayer line. You know, I had the elders pray for them to, to help them out, but they could not. They could not. So then Jesus then reveals kind of the big problem. He says this. He says, oh, unbelieving generation. Everybody say that with me. Oh, unbelieving generation. It was then, and I, and I submit to you that we have problems with that today. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Obviously, he's communicating. I love the Bible, and I don't think you have to read in it too, too much to see the emotion sometimes, but he's frustrated with them. He's frustrated with his, with his disciples, in my opinion. Um, and he says, bring the boy to me. So they brought him. As soon as they bring the boy closer to Jesus, look what happens. It says, when the spirit saw Jesus, 
It immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And, and this is interesting. Look at me for a second. So just so you don't think I'm going to do a whole, a whole message on uh, demon possession, don't get worried. Uh, we, we'll, we'll do that next week. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but, this, but this boy reacts to Jesus. You know, knowing that his presence, that he's there, and, 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 and you know, it, it changes the whole atmosphere. And Jesus kind of has this totally relaxed atmosphere. Now, I'm reading in this to a little bit, but, but just imagine going to the doctor's office, and you, you present your problem. The doctor doesn't really panic when you present your problems, does he? Like, for you, you're, like, freaking out. Like, your blood pressure's up. You're wondering what he's going to say next. This is what it's going like with Jesus. I think Jesus has got a buck knife. He pulls it out of his pocket. He's got an apple. And he just starts peeling that apple, and he goes, hey, you know, tell me, how long has your son been this way? <laughs> Boy's over there, Wah! he's freaking out, convulsing, foaming at the mouth. Tell me how long he's been this way. He's just totally calm about a major problem. It's a man of faith, isn't it? Right? I think it's kind of funny, but he says, how long has he been like this? And the kid's going crazy over there, okay? That's what's going on. If you guys just, I just want to make sure you get in the, the atmosphere. The, the dad said, from childhood, you know, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. Notice these next two words, when, when you, when, these next two words. It says, it says, but if, okay? Next two words in the, in the text are but if. If you ever see a but, it's very often whatever comes after that isn't going to be very good because nothing good comes out of that, okay? You know what I'm saying? Okay, so, but if you can do anything, in other words, frankly, I don't know if you can or, or, if, you, or if you want to anymore, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus takes exception to this and says, if, if you can, eats another bite of the apple. <laughs> if you can, you know. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus, you know, says this. Everything is possible for him who, what, believes. Or you could say has faith, who does not doubt in his heart. And I think this guy honestly was trying. I think like you and me a lot of times, we're trying to believe. And so he says what I think many of us say a lot of times in a lot of situations in our life along the way. The, the boy's father immediately exclaims or responds to Jesus and says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. This, this message is dedicated to those of you who are out there who say, I believe, but would you please help me in the areas where I don't believe? Help me in my unbelief. Do you think that would be relevant to anybody out here today? I'm like that sometimes, aren't you? I do believe it's not working for me sometimes. I pray sometimes and nothing happens, and, uh, and, and sometimes I do trust, but sometimes it just doesn't turn out right. And I'm like, help me, Jesus. I mean, I'm, I think I'm doing it right. I feel like I'm doing it right. What am I missing? And I've come to the conclusion a lot of times in my Christian experience that I need to stop asking why and stop asking and start asking what are you trying to teach me? What am I missing? What am I not seeing on this side of heaven? Because I do trust sometimes, but it doesn't seem like it's turning out the way I want it to. So I want to give you seven lessons in faith that will help build your faith as we go forward. And Hebrews 11 is so important to your development, uh, hopefully you sh you'll go home and read the whole thing on your own. Hebrews 11.1, look at this with me. And this defines faith. So what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 is going to tell you what faith is by definition. It says this. It says, now faith is being sure. I like this particular translation. It's being sure. Everybody say sure. 
In other words, I'm sure, I can, I, you know, I'm confident, sure of what we hope for and certain, everybody say certain, of what we do not see. It's, it's an assurance, which is similar to that certainty, a confidence, which is just like that word sure in Hebrews chapter 11. 1. Now, how do you get that kind of faith? Well, what's interesting is verse 2 basically says this. This is what the ancients were commended for. Verse 2 says, this is what the ones who went before you that are talked about in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is known as the hall of faith. Not the hall of justice or the hall of doom for all you super friends lovers. It's the hall of faith. Okay, the hall of faith. This is referring to those people. If you read Hebrews 12, it talks about those people who are in the stands. It actually refers to this life that we're in right now. Like we're on the field and they're in the stands like in a stadium in heaven watching us and cheering us on, saying, come on, you can do it. Come on, you can do it. This is, this is, they're encouraging us and they're cheering for us. Those people that are in the stands, those ancients, were commended for being people of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And they're watching us now. And they've done this. They've been there, done that, you know, bought the t-shirt, sold it to defer the cost, as they say. They were honored, as it were, for navigating this life successfully by faith. So here's my thought. If we studied those people one by one to see what were the principles and precepts that they lived by to be known as people of faith, to be commended for it by God, then why don't we learn from them and apply that to our life? Does that make sense? So here's some lessons in faith from these different people who are listed and, and mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Number one, let's talk about Abel's lesson. Abel's lesson was to put God first. You can fill in your notes right there. First, put God first. For a lot of people, you have a relationship with God. God is a part of your life categorically, all right? But he, he, he fits into your life. This is really common for people who've grown up in the church. This, my, my wife's from the South. Everybody in the South, you know, has God, believes in God, goes to church, you know? He fits into our life, but, but he's not necessarily first. And I'm going to give you something you may not be happy about, but if he's not first on your list then he ain't on the list because he'll only take one position, and that's the first position in your life. He, his, his priority, and that's really the operative word, is to be first. And until, until you decide to put him first at the first position in your life, then you really haven't taken that first step of faith of the many steps that we have to take. And, I'm, and I, where you're, basically, it's where you're making Jesus your priority relationship. Your first relationship needs to be a relationship with God. You know, um, a lot of times we talk about what salvation is, but do you know what salvation is not? It's not going to church. It's not religious behaviors. It's not, you know, um, uh, going to C101 tonight, though I would encourage that. Salvation is not about that. Salvation is reordering your life, your list in your life of priorities, reordering them to reflect Jesus being in the first position. Whatever that list is of things, and you can tell by time and effort and your, and, your, and your thought life and your preoccupation, not just your occupation, what are your priorities? And God's basically wanting, whatever that list is, I want to make sure that I'm first. And I don't care if you have other things on the list, just put me first on the list. Is everybody getting that? And so when you've done that, then that's kind of really when you're saved, because he becomes the priority relationship. Now, Hebrews 11.4, check this out. It says this. Here's an example of how to put God first. It's a very pointed one. 
this is um, referencing a text in Genesis, but it's talking about it in Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith Scripture. It says, by faith, Abel, everybody say Abel. These are the two, many, many theologians believe they were twins, twin brothers. By faith, Abel offered God, one of uh, Adam and Eve's children, a better sacrifice than Cain did. Abel, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. They say Cain tried to offer God a better sacrifice, but he just wasn't able. That's, <laughs> that's just a preacher joke. Uh, I'll be here all day. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man. In other words, this is saying that you, you, you gave the right kind of offering to me, is what God is saying, and your brother didn't. Your brother didn't. And I want to show you some more about that in a second. When God spoke well of his offering, and by faith, he still speaks. Now, let me reference the scripture that, that this comes from. It's from Genesis uh, chapter 4. I think it's in your notes. Uh, Genesis 4, verse 3. It talks in 4. It talks about this, this offering. And the problem was um, Abel's offering was accepted. Cain's was not. And I was trying to figure out why. Why was that? They both were bringing offerings. They both were really tithing to God of, of, of all that they had, of all their increase. Why was one accepted and one was not? Look at this. It says, in the course of time. Everybody's saying in the course of time. This is a key word here. And this is some of the problem that we have in our life. We have the same problem. In the course of time. It's saying he brought his offering when he was good and ready. When he felt like it, when, when, he, when it kind of caught his attention, when, when he was, when he was um, you know, when it was convenient. In the course of time, Cain brought some of, everybody noticed that, some of the fruits of the soil. See, Cain was, a, his occupation was he was a farmer. And Abel was a herdsman or a shepherd, as, as, as some might call it. And so the, the, the way they did commerce at this particular time wasn't through currency or cash, money, or coin. It was done through, um, you know, our, our physical resources. In this case, it would be fruits and vegetables, and then it would be, you know, the offspring, you know, of, of animals and things like that. And so C Cain... Uh, brought some of the fruit of his soil, but, but Abel brought fat portions. This fat portions is referring to the best of what he had. From some of the firstborn. So he brought fat portions from some of the firstborn. In other words, uh, of the flock, uh, the Lord looked as a result because of what he gave with favor on Abel's. But it goes on to say he did not look with favor upon that which uh, Cain brought. They both gave. So what's the big deal, God? They both gave. Because one gave from a, from a position of priority, first, the best of what one had, and one did not. It wasn't so much about, and this is what people miss when it comes to money. We think it, it, it wasn't, in other words, the what or the how much, but the when that mattered. It wasn't the what or the how much, but the when that mattered to God. In other words, when you receive it, the first of what you get, give it right back right away. Does that make sense? Because it wasn't so much in being faithful to give, which in the case of Cain he was, it was being faith-filled in your giving because by giving the first of what you have requires faith to do so. One of the secrets to faith is to actually do something that requires faith. 
And it doesn't require faith to wait till I get everything and then give something. It requires faith to give what I first receive and then give that to God, not knowing what's going to come later or after. This is better preaching than they realize, Lord, but I'm going to go ahead and amen that myself. And so Cain, he waited. He waited till he had a bunch of fruits, and Abel gave the first, the best of what he had. And this is particularly critical when it comes to giving, but it also shows up when it comes to living, too. So it's not just about giving. It's also about living. If you think about that, when it comes to, this is why we worship on Sundays, for example. Sundays is the first day of what? The rest of the week. And so it says before, it says to God, before I go on to do what I want to do, before I go on to, um, to, to, the, to, to produce, to play, and all those kind of things that I need to do and I'm going to do, I'm going to put you first in my schedule. That's why it's so good to put God first in every area of our life. You're doing, by you being here right now, you're telling God you're first in my schedule. It's putting favor on your life because you're putting God first in your schedule before I do anything else. It's the same thing you do when you get up tomorrow morning. We were talking about this in my small group this week. Um, uh, 7.30 Friday morning, we're, we're having, I got all these guys, like 15 guys. We're getting up early in the morning before we go to work, and we're coming together as a small group. That's a way to say to God, you're first. Before I go to produce and take dominion over my world and make money or whatever we're going to do, we're saying, God, you're first. When you roll out of bed and you drop to your knees and you pray, even if it's just a few short prayers that's telling God he's what? He's first. He's first. He's in the first position. And again, that's what it means when it talks about the tithe. It's all about that too. Some think it's about a building program or bills being paid. No, tithing tests your faith, by the way. It says to God that he's the first position in our finances, and we do, then he blesses the rest. He does that with any part of your life. First, in your finances, F-I-R-S-T, finances, interests, relationships, schedule, troubles. When you put God first, it puts favor on your life. It shows that you're in faith first. Amen? Get something out of that? I can remember going to, uh, I told this story a while back, but I just want to give the short version of it. I was going to... Um, vacation with my family, and, um, and we had been blessed with a trip to go to the Bahamas. Bahamas? Yes, Lord. Uh, whole family's going. We get there. We're supposed to leave at 7. Our flight says 7. Our tickets say 7. We get there, and our flight's left at 6. That was bad, bad, bad. I can remember being in line. My kids are like, um, Dad, does that mean we're not going to go? I'm like, shut up. I don't know. I was like freaking out, you know what I mean? And, and I just panic button. We're like, what's it going to cost? And they're saying there's no more flights, and you can try to get in this airline. And then we got in. The, we, I said, let's go over to this airline. And Stacy's telling me, honey, we can just go home, and then we can just go out the next day, and we'll just lose a day. It's no big deal. And I'm like, no, no, that doesn't sound right. I just, just had this like check in my spirit. This is not right. This is not if something went wrong. I don't know what it is, but something went wrong here. Uh, and so we got in this, we got in this other line. I'm sitting in the JetBlue line, and, and I'm looking at, on, on my phone for how much it's going to cost. It's going to go up by like $1,600 all, all of our flights. A lot of, lot of extra money if we go in that line and going to get out that day. And speeding ahead, I just, you know, I just tell the Holy Spirit. I'm just like, you know what? Uh, God, I'm a t this is what I said. You, you, can, you can do what you want with this. This, this, is, just, this is just a habit. It's my reflex. I said, God, I'm a tither. Okay, and, and so you got to get me, you, you provide for me, 
And this mess is not, as far as I can tell, it's not my fault. And even if it is, I'm asking you to help me get out of this mess. I don't know what's going on here. I need you to tell me what to do. Because my wife's, in my head, I'm thinking, my wife's telling, telling me the kind of conservative thing to do. Let's just go home. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. You know, she's thinking my blood pressure is skyrocketing and I'm going to squash somebody or something like that. But I was, but I was okay. I was okay. And I just, just tell me what to do. And right then, I just felt a peace. No, just trust God. We're going to go ahead and do it. So I said, let's book the tickets. We're going to get on this plane. We're going to go. We go. We get there. We get, we get to the Bahamas. The worst storm in, like, the history ever hit that particular next that particular next day, so we wouldn't have got out that day. In fact, the, the, the airport was closed for two or three days. It was like in October. It was like right around now. It was a horrible storm, and we got out. So that was cool because we would have lost like three days, and the vacation would have been screwed. So thank you, Holy Spirit, for telling me to go. I went for it. And then shortly after that, God provided, um, like literally, I'm just going to call it manna from heaven, but financial resources. Within one month, 30 days, all $1,600 was provided from unseen sources. One of those sources was a lady that I helped one time with her groceries and gave her a ride, and I loaned her some money. And she, four years late, no, more than that. Four or five years later, she found out where I lived and put a check in my mailbox to thank me for the money that I gave her. And it was like that, that check that I got was the final amount of money that I needed to pay back the, all that money that I thought I had lost because God provided for me because I took a step of faith. Does that make sense? When we put God first and treat him not as a last resort, then we're bold. Actually, in 1 John, it's not in your notes, but the, the Bible says, beloved, if our hearts don't condemn us, then we have confidence. It's that faith word, confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commands. What are his commands? Keeping him first. It tells us that right in the commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me, which means you can have other loves, but you just can't have one that's above me. And when you do put him first, then you can boldly come before his throne of grace and you can ask him some tough questions knowing that he hears you and that he provide for you. Amen? Number two, Enoch's lesson was this. Enoch's lesson was walk with God. Walk with God. Now, this guy you probably know the least about. Many of us know very little about him because not a lot is written about him. But I'll tell you what's up here. Uh, in, this particular, in, in this particular example, uh, what the lesson is is that God can't just be your Sunday God. This is talking about walking and talking, communion, not on Sundays, the first Sunday of the month. This is about talking and walking with God all the time. It's about a step-by-step relationship with God, an all-inclusive relationship with God. I'm not just going to do a little Bible study today, and then I'll see you kind of next week, Jesus, kind of relationship, all right? And then go right back into kind of our old life and our old patterns and our old ways and not really have God as a part of every part of our life. He wants to be involved in all of your all of your activities. And a lot of times we get in trouble because we don't include him in all of our activities. We don't think he's there, which is a part of our faith. We must, we must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So to have that kind of relationship with him, we must realize he's always there. He's, not, he's an omnipresent God. He's also a manifest present God too when we continue to go after him and relate to him. In Hebrews 11.5, it says this. Look in your notes. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life. This, you know what that means? It means he didn't experience death. In other words, God looked down and said, I like that guy so much. Come on up here, buddy. How many want an Enoch kind of death? You know what I'm saying? Like, just take me home, Jesus. You know what I mean? <laughs> I would be amazing, amazing. So 
Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For, for before he was taken, it says this, he was commended as one who pleased God. Look at Genesis 5 where this all comes from. So that's Hebrews 11 referring in the New Testament back to the Old Testament text. Genesis 5, 25, 24 says, Enoch walked with God. Everybody say, walked with God. This literally means he was in a step-by-step, synergistic, you know, totally connected uh, concert with God, God's word, God's ways relationship. That's what that's talking about. Then he was no more because God took him away. And so if you want your faith to grow, then let me say it like this. The closer you get to something... That thing, you know, that you want to get closer to, if the closer you get to that thing, the more you'll know that thing. Is that, isn't that profound? The closer you get to that thing, the more you're going to know that thing that you want to get closer to, right? So, so some, of the, some of the faith issues that we have is because we're distancing ourselves from the only one who can build our faith and come to strengthen our faith and actually respond to the requests of our faith. We got to get closer, now, when I married Stacy, I trusted Stacy when we got married. Stacy and I uh, are get, coming up on our 23-year anniversary next month. Praise the Lord. It's a pretty good deal. We were actually talking about our 25th because you know how you have to plan for something big? Like, if you're going to do something big, you got to, like, plan now, you know? So we were just kind of talking about that, and it was kind of fun. And uh, I'm trying to get her to go to Alaska with me because uh, it's freezing cold. So that's i got to work on it for at least two or three years for that one. Um, but... Uh, but when we first got married, I trusted her, all right, and when we got married. But 23 years later, I trust her at a much greater level than I did when I first got married to her. 23 years, uh, I, I know her at a whole nother level right now. Are you getting what I'm saying there? My confidence, my certainty, my assurance is much greater now than it was then because I've walked with her. Through so many situations, so many difficulties, so many trials, so many ups, so many, so many uh, difficult days and downs and tough times, but wonderful things. Because I walked with her, I, my faith, my confidence, my trust in our relationship is much stronger. And I want to tell you this, too, to encourage you also. I've been a Christian and serving the Lord for well over three decades right now. And, and I've walked with God for, for a long time, and I've walked through some trials and some tests that I wouldn't wish upon anybody and on my own and with people that I wouldn't wish upon anybody, sitting front row, front and center with a lot of tough situations. And I can say with total confidence and certainty that we serve, I serve a faithful God. He is so faithful all the time, every time. He, he has never, ever let me down, ever. And I want to say that before him and before you. Can I hear a better amen out there? So let me try to describe like walking with God another way. I was telling uh, you guys a story not too long ago, but I didn't tell you one particular part of the story that was really interesting to me that the Holy Spirit was bringing back to my remembrance. I, years ago, I was bugging Stacy. Uh, this is, I don't know how many years ago it is, but it's about a decade ago. I was bugging Stacy about having another kid. Now, we had four, so you probably think I'm sick, but um, she does all the work. I just, you know, have all the fun. And so uh, that's another series. Um, but I was like, you know, maybe we could have a kid or we could adopt a kid. And she's just like kind of no, no, no. And she ran away from me for the next three months, if you know what I mean. And um, 
So, <laughs> well, anyway, it kind of affected me inside, I think, somehow subconsciously, and, and, and this was about maybe 11, 12 years ago, and the kids simultaneously had been talking to me about getting, this dog, getting a dog, getting a dog, getting a dog for, like, ever, and I said, no, 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 and so I'm like, oh, you know, next, next thing, maybe, so one day I'm driving home, I'm, like, pulling this place, and I go to go buy a dog. They have no idea. I go to get, you know, the dog, many of you guys know, Hunter, or we like to say because he's so little, Hunted, and... Uh, <laughs> So while I'm in there to shop for Hunter, there's this whole thing happening on the side with this lady, and she's got this crazy, crazy dog who won't obey. And so she's coming. The dog, they sell dogs, but they also train dogs. How many of you guys have a dog out there? Have a, have a pet or something like that? Okay, so this will relate to some of you guys. So this lady's like going to this, she goes to, I'm just going to call her G.I. Jane, the dog trainer, because this lady was mean. You know what I mean? She's like scary. And... Um, and so G.I. Jane, the dog trainer, is telling this lady, you know, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And she's like, don't worry about what she, And basically the lady wanted her dog to be obedient, and there was just no way that, you know, this dog, her dog's going to be obedient. She says, oh, yeah, I'll have your dog obedient in 10 minutes, G.I. Jane, the dog trainer said. But he's like, 10 minutes, like, get out of here. What are you, crazy? And I could, I'm watching this while I'm shopping, you know, I'm shopping. And so I kind of stop just watching. And this dog is crazy, okay, like frothing at the mouth, like demonized, okay? And so she goes, no problem, no problem. She gets out this little, I don't know what you call it, slip collar thing, puts it, choker, whatever it is, and I don't know if you guys get scared about that kind of stuff, but the dog was fine, it's no issues. They slip it over the dog's neck and kind of pull it, and she's just, just, just bear with me for a minute. You trust me? The lady's like, I don't know, I don't know. And so they put this little slip collar on the dog. G.I. Jane, the dog trainer, gets this thing around the dog, kind of got, got it, the handle right here and a good grip right around the, the, uh, the, the, where the collar kind of starts and kind of pulls that kind of tuck. And the dog goes, ah, like that, you know. And then she starts walking in, no hollering, no yelling, starts walking in like a square. And the dog's going, ah, and then she kind of brings her over here like this and pops her like, ah, and then she, ah, and before you know it, by the second time around, the dog's like, ah, ah. and by the fourth or fifth time around this little square, that dog was like anticipating every move of the dog trainer. G.I.G. and the dog trainer would just go like this, and the dog would go. <laughs> just little legs, you know? Within one day, the dog trainer said, that dog will follow you anywhere you want to go. <laughs> You'll be able to take the thing off in a week. You won't even need a leash. You won't even need that slip collar at all. You guys tracking with me out there? <laughs> anyway, that's, that's what it's like to walk with God. That's what that word is talking about in the scriptures there. In fact, in Galatians 5, it says, keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. You're supposed to walk right alongside. Stay close to God. Don't be dragging behind. It's painful. Keep right in step. Keep right in concert with God. Anticipate. Expect. Keep looking at him. Are we going now? Are we going now? Where should we go? Where should we go? What's our next step? What's our next move? Walk with God. Where are you going? That's where I'm going, God. You taking a step? I'm taking a step too. Many people don't experience the miraculous intervention of God and faith responded to because we're not walking with God like that. Number three, Noah's lesson. A good follow-up. Act on God's word. Act on God's word. This is Noah's lesson. In verse 7 it says, By faith Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen. I don't think we realize how profound we always think about the ark and the animals and all that kind of stuff, but listen, God's basically like, hey, Noah, yeah, 
I want you to build an ark. What's an ark? You know, and then he's, it's a boat. Okay. You know, how big? You know, here, I'll, I'll give you the dimensions. Just, just start building. Here's the dimensions. This is what I want you to do. Here's, you go, go, get, go get, get to it. Okay, how come? Why? I, can you imagine the conversation? Because it's going to rain. What's rain? <laughs> they, none of this had ever been seen at this point in human history. Are you guys getting this out there? It took a lot of faith. In God's word, and God's word, by the way, alone. And sometimes we forget how important, how significant it is to get a word from God and stand on a word from God on God's word and God's word alone. And he was acting on something he had not seen. And it says, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet uh, seen, in holy fear, that means awe of God, reverence of God, respect of his word, built an ark to save his family. This is real faith. Here's what, write this in your notes. Faith listens to the nudge. Faith listens to the poke, the poke, and takes steps and keeps taking steps until things budge. You keep listening, you listen to that nudge of the Holy Spirit, and then you act on it. How many times? Just keep on acting on that, that, that nudge of the Holy Spirit. Act on God's word. Act on what he tells you to do until things budge. It's kind of another rendition of that push. Pray until something, until something happens. And so I think sometimes, and I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to say this to some of you that are out there today. Maybe people that are listening, you know, online as well. I think sometimes God is, and he has been, he's been nudging you. But you won't act on what God is saying. He's like, come on. It's time for you to take that next step. I'm calling you to me. You need to surrender your life to me. Give your life to me. Come on. When are you going to cross the line from like convenience and, and, and comfort into commitment? When are you going to become a part of that church, part of that spiritual family? Come on. Nudge, nudge, nudge. When are you going to trust me with your finances? When are you going to... Nudge, nudge, nudge. Get in a group and kind of open your life up and in your head instead of intellectually saying I agree, but in your heart and in your life actually. Come on, come on, come on, come on. When are you going to get baptized? Well, I'm going to lunch after church today. I don't want to get my hair wet. Come on, come on. See, faith is built when we act on the nudge and we do something about it. I remember just too, not too long ago, I was referencing this recently. I asked him permission if I could share his name, but I have a new friend in our church, and he serves on our dream team, David, David Farmer. And I recently watched someone just like you, who sat in the chair just like you every single week, respond to the nudge. That was David. David responded to the nudge. God kept talking to him. You know, it's time. you got to cross that line. You've just been sitting and listening, sitting, kind of consumer Receive, receive, receive. But, you know, he knew, knew God was talking to him. So he remember him coming to C101 uh, last, was last month, and he did. And then God nudged him again to talk to me after class, and he did. And he had some challenges with God. He had some challenges with his circumstances that he was currently facing. He's got a child, and he had a newborn. Was, the time was like 27 days old. I think it was probably 34 days old probably today or something like that, if I'm doing the math. Or no, another month, sorry. 60 days old, something like that. He's got a newborn baby. And then he had some problems with his job. He was looking for work. He didn't know what he was going to do. And just opened up. Just, here I am. You know? I'm telling you what's up. I'm, I'm just responding to the nudge. I got some questions. got some issues. I said, man, you got to cross that line. So many words. you got to cross that line. I said, just, it takes faith. 
It's no return without risk. I remember telling them, no return without risk. There's a great return, if we, but when you put your trust in God, there's a great return. When you put your trust, okay, okay. And, and basically, the next day, he made that decision, he's going to cross that line. And when I was walking out of class that night, I talked to one of my friends, and, and, and uh, he's somewhere in here. Uh, where is, anyway, Rodrigo's here. And, and I saw him earlier. And Rodrigo and I are talking, I'm like, Rodrigo, I, I, I just, you know, he's like, who's that guy? I said, that's David. And I said, he's just praying, just can you pray with me, you know, that, you know, God just work in his life in a situation. He's looking for work, by the way. Really, is? What's going on with that? I said, yeah, he's looking for work. He goes, can I call him? I said, let me ask. Two days later, he's got a full-time job working with my friend. So he made a decision to cross the line and commit to God, to spiritual family. 24 hours after that, he's got a full-time job. He's happy as... He's happy as a kid in a candy store, and he's sitting there in the back. Can you wave at David, everybody? Say, hey, David. <laughs> That's David, and he's serving on our dream team right now, loving Jesus and happier than ever because he responded to the nudge. James 2.22 says, you see that, is, that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did, by what he did. Number four, Abraham's lesson. You guys getting something out of this? I gotta move quickly. Abraham's lesson. Wait patiently. Wait patiently. Don't you hate this one? Yeah, I do too. I don't know about you, but God is notoriously patient. Peter tells us God is not slow, as some understand slowness, but he's patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He's actually giving us time to kind of work through some of this stuff so we don't have any regrets. God is committed to not giving us exactly what we want, but precisely what we need because he's a good parent. He's a great parent. And we all know that good parents don't always give us what we want. They're not interested in our, our comfort. They're interested in our character and developing us and encouraging us in our destiny. Hebrews 6.15 says, and so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. This could be a life theme verse for some of us. Waiting patiently. Afterwards, he received what was promised. Abraham was told by God certain things. Go to the land I will show you. What land? I'll show you. Just go. And then later on, God, you know, began to reveal more and more of himself. He showed him, you know, a big vision, kind of an open heaven. See the, see the stars in the sky? See the sand on the sea? That's going to be your offspring. What? You're going to have a child. What? When? Just be patient. Be patient. How can I be patient? My wife is this and I'm this. And Be patient. Be patient. That's Abraham's lesson to you and me is to learn to not give up. And somebody's here. Somebody's listening online. Don't give up. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. Just hang on. I don't know. I don't know when it's going to happen. Just hang on. Be patient through faith. And patience. Abraham inherited his promises, and you will too. You're here in church, and your spouse is not with you. Hang on. Just keep doing the right thing. Trust God. Certain situations are not working out, maybe in your finances. Keep living these lessons of faith. Be patient. Maybe God's doing something in you before he can trust you with something that's going to happen outside of you, through you. He's got to do something in you first. Listen to this verse. Cut this out, maybe memorize it. Hebrews 10, 37 and 38 says, For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. Everybody say faith. And if he shrinks back, he will not be pleased with him. So God wants us to live by faith, to not shrink back, to keep on pressing on, not giving up. Your kids aren't serving God. You have a wayward son. You have something that's going wrong. Keep hanging on. Don't give up. 
Number five, Moses' lessons. Don't trust your what? Your feelings. Nothing more than feelings. Trying to forget. All right, I won't do it. Uh, Feelings are unreliable, as my father used to say. You can't trust your feelings. And you might not have guessed this one because of the flamboyant, incredible, uh, ridiculously incredible miracles of Moses. But look at this in Hebrews 11, 24 through 27. It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In other words, he wouldn't live a life of comfort and pleasure. He could have, but he chose not to. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Now, if you're a young person in particular, all people actually, just listen. Faith, faith-filled people don't follow feelings. Sometimes, sometimes, and this is what I've noticed a lot with the young generation in particular, it, it, a younger generation, is that we are so preoccupied with experience because we want our feelings, you know, um, you know, tantalized and titillated and, 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 you know, just our senses just overloaded, but, as, but that's all we're after. But we're really, we're really not built, building our faith on a foundation. We're building it on feelings. It's nothing more than feelings, and they're unreliable. One of the biggest enemies to your faith is feelings. We make too many choices based on them. We get sidelined all the time because of them. Um, one of the pastors in my life, Pastor Chris, he has this phrase. He says that his daddy taught him. He says, um, we don't live our life on, um, on uh, uh, pleasure or, or uh, he said another word there. It was uh, it, pressure, pressure, not pleasure, pressure, but principles. See, pressure affects our feelings. The pressures of this life crush in on us, and as a result, we start, start making decisions. on We can't respond to pressures. We have to respond to principles. Just, just the other day, in fact, Dee just was, was asking me a question. It's a financial decision I had to make in the church, and there was something that pressure was trying to get me to do, but the principle was what I needed to follow, and I had to wrestle through the pressure. Praise God I did. And when I wrestled through the pressure and followed the principle of God, I had peace. Even though sometimes the circumstances weren't all worked out the way I wanted them to be. Does that make sense to anybody out there? So don't trust your feelings. Trust God because we live by faith, not by sight. Number six, moving quickly, Joshua's lesson is to thank God in advance. Now, I love this one about thanking God in advance. I learned to thank God for it right after you ask for it. My daughter Mallory figured this out very early in life in her relationship with her dad. She would come up to me and ask me for something, and then I would say, I think about it. She would sit on my lap and just kind of do the whole rub the genie lamp thing, you know, in my head. You know what I mean? Daddy, you're so handsome. You're so wonderful. You're so strong. What about? Can I have? And she'd list off all the things that she wanted, and then as she's walking away, thank you so much, Daddy. Thank you so much. <laughs> there was just something powerful about that. Yeah, manipulation. No, but the... You know what I'm saying. But this is what happened in Hebrews. God, all through the Old Testament, he would, he would send out praisers ahead of the soldiers. Over and over again, he would, he would come out thanking God and praising God and singing love songs to God. Even in the story of Jericho, this great and mighty you know, um, c- city, 
you know, fortified city that nobody could penetrate. Uh, basically, they came and and he and they got to this place and they, come on, you know, and they got their they got their swords and they got their shields and they got their spears and he's like, hey, all you guys, put all that stuff down. Put your sword down. Put your shield down. Put your spear down. Get your banjo on. Get your drum. Get your cymbals. All you guys that can sing, and even those of you who can make a joyful noise, get out there, and I want you to circle around, and I want you to sing, you know, Lord, I lift your name on high, okay? And that's what they did, and they began to praise, and we're, and we're just going to circle the thing, and all I want you to do is sing praise songs and love songs to me. And I'm sure they thought, God, what in the world are you doing? What in the world are you thinking? But they did it, and, and they surrounded those walls in advance with praise, with with thanksgiving. And I think he's trying to teach us something. You say, what is he trying to teach you? That the purest expression, you know, of, 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 of faith is praise to God. It's, thank, it's thanking him. One of the purest expressions sometimes of faith is, is worship to God. You start there. You thank God in advance. When's the last time you thanked him before it happened? Makes a big difference. That's why it's good to be in services, be good to be in connect every single week when you come into worship and we're, we're called to enter into his courts with thanksgiving and his, and his, his courts with praise. We're called to do that, right? The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms. And it's kind of a way where we let go of our week, let go of our junk, let go of our, our stinking thinking and we start to worship and sing songs of love to God. Something happens to us in our situation in advance when we do that. Smile at me if you, if you hear what I'm saying, okay? Something happens when you begin to worship God. That's what you're beginning to do. You're putting praise sometimes ahead of the physical warfare. You're doing a spiritual warfare, as it were. In Hebrews 11.30, it says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. It didn't fall because of swords and people climbing it, you know, and doing everything they could in the natural. Sometimes we just do what God says to do in the natural. He, God adds super to our natural. Sometimes you just do what he tells you to do in the natural, and God will add some super to it. How many of you guys need some super on your natural? Do you need a little bit of that? Then you got to do your natural if he's going to add his super to that. Amen? So by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with what? With thanksgiving. Come on, say it. With what? Thanksgiving, present your request to God. So you just thank God. Hey, God, I know this situation's going on with my kid, but I trust you that you're going you're gonna to do a work in him. I know that one day he will serve God. I know that one day he'll surrender. That's why I prayed for my son. When he was a junior in, in high school, my wife and I would pray, God, bless God, thank you that he's called. We know he's called. You told us he's called. You showed us in your word the promises of what he said about him. He's called by God. God has a purpose and a plan for his life. We can't see it in the natural, but we're doing what we can in the natural. And I'm asking you to add your super to it, God, because God wants to do a work in my young boy's life. And he's serving God right here, right now. And so your son and your child and your situation and your circumstance that you're facing, begin to thank God in advance for what he's about to do. That is the ultimate expression of faith is worship. Worship God through your situation. It'll change your attitude. It'll change your perspective because as soon as you begin to praise God, you realize he's a great big God. You realize that this is bigger. There's a bigger situation going on here. And there's a bigger God than the problem that I'm facing right now. Amen. I'm preaching. That's all I know. You getting something from this message? All right, last point, number seven. Final lesson. It's the final countdown. I should have... Da -da -da -da, da -da 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 -da. 
here's the final lesson, okay? God always does the right thing. Now, some people think, if they're honest, wait a minute, wait a minute, no, he doesn't. No, he didn't. I know situations right now, PD, where there's no way he could have done the right thing in that situation. He should have healed that person. That person shouldn't have died. He should have, got, he should have stopped that from happening. He should have never let that happen in the first place. I don't know if you're honest, if, but sometimes I think we've thought things like that. I just want to say this. God always does the right thing. He always does the right thing. This particular verse I've read at many a funeral because it's so relevant, but it's relevant to all of us as well. In Hebrews 11, verse 39 and 40, it says, These, these people, in other words, who were, <laughs> listen to this. When he's referring to these in Hebrews 11, he's talking about people who've been sawed in two, people who've been beheaded, crucified, beaten, killed, upside down, killed, horrible deaths. That's what he's talking about. These people were all commended for their faith. Look at this in your notes. Yet none of them received what had been promised. I used, I used to just go, what? And then it says this, God had planned something better. Would you read that with me out loud? God had planned something better. I think you need to almost say it. I, I, God always does the right thing. I, I have this PD-ism, and, and this kind of a word that staff sometimes says that, you know, it's a PD-ism. This is, this is one that I have no Bible for, but I'm convinced I'm right. I'm convinced, I'm convinced I'm right. And so I'm just going to share it with you. You can do whatever you want with it. One day, I believe, according to Scripture, we will all stand before God. And I think when we cross from this life to the next life, I think some people think we're going to hear, hallelujah, hallelujah, like that's going to be what happens. You know, and everybody's just going to be singing, and it's just going to be like a big band, and, and it's going to be just, you know, just like a football halftime show, like kind of thing. I actually don't think it's going to be like that at first. I think when you cross from this life to the next, and you get to heaven, I think it's going to be, oh, now I get it. It's going to be an aha moment. It's going to be a eureka moment. Like things that you just, I don't get it. My finite mind cannot understand this infinite God. My concept of what should have happened, could have happened, what he could have done, what I told him would have been a better plan. All of a sudden it would be, I get it now. Oh, now I get it. God, you were right. You were right. You're always right. You were right how you did that. I had a friend that I prayed for. He had horrible cancer. His name was Kevin. I carried around a card in my wallet of Kevin from his memorial service that I just preached at. He came in my office when it was downstairs. He was living a horrible, sinful life. His marriage was over. He was doing a bunch of stuff wrong. And he, he said, I, I don't want to die. I said, listen, God doesn't make any deals, Kev. You gotta, your life eternally is way more than your life temporarily. You got to give your life to Jesus. He got down on his knees. I can remember him on his knees crying, screaming. I actually was concerned everybody was going to hear him. And he's yelling out all his sins. And I, forgive me for this and forgive me for that. Forgive me for cheating on this and doing this and doing that. And he spit it all out because he knew he was he knew he was destined to die. He was scared. And he wanted God, he wanted God so desperately. I said, now that you're, you're repentant for your sins, I want you to know something. God forgives you. I want you to invite him in your life. And he invited Jesus into his life that day. And he gave his heart to Christ. One of the most glorious salvations I can ever remember. 
And I thought, this is it, God. You saved him. You know, his whole life's going to be different. And now, you know, Kevin and I, we're going to go on the road and we're going to tell, you know, because you're going to heal him and this horrible cancer that's taken over every part of his body, his brain and his legs and, and his organs and all these things. It's all going to go away because he got saved and he gave his heart and repented. That's what you can do, right? That's what you can do, right, right, right? That's the right thing, God. And he didn't do that. And I got up every single day, every single day on my knees for, for probably 60 days. And I would get on my knees and I'd pray for Kevin to be healed. I'd plead with God, heal him. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to do. And I remember one day getting a call from his wife. Kevin's gone. I cried. I was so bummed. I was like, no. That's not how it's supposed to happen. It's not how it's supposed to happen. And I remember going to his funeral. It was a Catholic funeral. <laughs> no offense to any Catholics out there. And anybody that's listening, I really mean no offense by that. But they were trying to say he was saved because he took the Eucharist. They were trying to say he's saved because, you know, he had First Communion and all these different things. And I was face to face with that guy. He didn't think he was saved. He was scared to death of this life and the life to come. And I told that whole church what happened. I told him that he gave his heart to Christ. That's how he's saved. By faith, he came to Christ. And all those people were just stunned. You know, and his wife's just like this front row, just like that. I remember walking out of there, I'm like, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's what it was all. Maybe it was a bigger plan. Maybe I don't understand. I just trust you, God. I know that you know what I don't know. You're, you're good, and you're, you're always good, and you know what's up even when I don't know what's up. And I believe with all my heart, and I don't know if it's helping anybody, but I'm going to get to heaven and I, I, because I believe that God did the right thing. It's going to make sense to me when I get there. And I'm going to see Kevin. He's like, D. God did the right thing. Trust me. I know what's up. I know what's going on here. I'm saved. I'm here. I'm here. Because you, you, you and me, we, we connected. And I talked to you, and you talked to me, and you helped me connect with him. And it's all good. It's all good. People ask me sometimes these tough questions about things like this. One time a guy asked me this huge doctrinal question. I couldn't answer it. And he was like, aren't you uncomfortable with the fact that you don't know what that, the answer to that? I'm like, No. I'm just grateful that I serve a God who's smarter than me. Because if God can fit in between these two ears, he's a pretty small God. And we're in a lot of trouble. I just want you to know God always does the right thing. Amen? Would you just stand to your feet? Let's pray. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I came to the conclusion that when you surrender to the lessons of faith. God always does the right thing. An incredible sense of peace came over me that day when I left Kevin's funeral, his, his service. Amazing peace. And I want that for you. Some of you may know, maybe don't have that peace today. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. I'm asking some of you to take that next step of faith, to respond to the nudge of the Holy Spirit. Maybe prior to now you thought, my way is better than your way, God. I know what's up. I know what I should do. But today I'm willing, I'm willing, I'm willingly choosing to place my faith, my life, trust you with the things I don't understand, the things I don't know, but trust you and live by faith. I, I believe with all my heart that if you do that, you'll experience real peace today. If you're here today and you've never transferred your trust totally to God, put your faith in him in every single way of your life. God wants to speak to you today. He wants to come into your life, come into your heart. 
If that's you, you say, that's me, Pastor D. I, I know he's talking to me. I know he's nudging me. Um, I, I, I know he wants to be top of the list, and you want to put him top of the list today. I want you to put your high, as if your hand as high as you can. Like, if you could touch the ceiling, you would. Good and high, and just say, that's me. I want, to, I want to surrender all that I am to God today. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You know he's not top of the list, and you want to make him top of the list today. That's you. God bless you all over the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for those people. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, ever. Never surrendered your life to Christ. And you want to, you want to, he's nudging you. He's saying, come on, come on, surrender your life to me today. That's where true peace is. That's where real satisfaction, that's where significance can be found. If you know that's you, raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus today. I haven't given my life to Christ today, and I want to. Is there anybody that hasn't done that before? God bless you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Let's, let's just pray together. Would you guys join me with this prayer? Say, Jesus, today I surrender my life to you. I want to put you first. Maybe for the first time, but for the rest of my life, I want to put you in the first position. I surrender to you today. I transfer life my way to doing life your way. Walking and talking with God, step by step, listening to him, and responding to him. Make your voice strong. I no longer want to listen to the voice of the stranger, but I listen to the voice of the shepherd. Jesus Christ, be the shepherd of my soul in Jesus' name. I love you, God. Amen and amen. Father, I pray for every person that said that prayer that you just, just seal that in their heart in Jesus' name. I thank you that you love them. You gave your life for them. I thank you, Lord God, that those that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and amen. Come on, give the Lord a big hand.